The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Have you ever been thirsty? Like, like, like really, really thirsty? When you're really thirsty, one of the things that uh, you know is that you don't have to be convinced that we need water for life, right? I mean, we need a lot of water. We need water to cook with. We need water uh, to, uh, to clean with. We need water to drink, and, uh, and really a lot of water to drink. We need, we need water. Women, they say that, uh, that you need about eight eight-ounce cups of water every day to stay hydrated. And gentlemen, we need somewhere between 11 to 13 cups of water a day to stay hydrated. I mean, we all need water. And, and when we think we don't, it's probably only minutes away before our bodies remind us once again that we're thirsty. And we head to the sink, we head to the fridge, we tank back up, and, and we're good to go for a while. But the truth is, there's another kind of thirst. There's another kind of thirst that we deal with, and we feel that thirst all the time, and we reach for many things to try to, to, try to quench that thirst. Because there's a lot of wells in this life. There's a lot of wells to drink from. Matt Hurd was our speaker at our men's conference this year, it just brought such a great, great message to the men uh, that were there. And, um, and so he writes this about Jesus' encounter with this woman that Courtney Tate helped us kind of get a glimpse inside of her heart and her, her head just moments ago. Matt writes this. He says, line for line, your story and mine Uh, won't be identical to the story of the woman at the well in long-ago Samaria. But each of us can relate to her when it comes to our inventory of deep and thwarted yearnings. I might differ in the ways that I try to address my longings. Not, Not many of us have had five spouses. But the reality of the soul ache is something that I can't ignore. You and I are going to vary in the ways, the willingness, the the abilities that we have to articulate it, but just beneath the surface, gnawing at each of us, are our longings. Longings for significance, for for truth, for beauty and goodness, for identity and security, for shalom. So what do you long for in life? Have you found it? Like, why did you wake up today? What, what got you out of bed today? Or, or maybe, why did you find it hard to get to sleep last night? At the core of your being, what is it that you're really thirsty for? Do you know? Because if you don't, then you're going to run from well to well seeking to satisfy your thirst. Because here's the thing. While our longings themselves are are good, and I believe God-given, it's certainly possible, if not probable, that we're going to try to satisfy them through many inappropriate, destructive, even hedonistic pursuits in this life. And additionally, I'll say this to to God's people. I'll say this to those who uh, call themselves believers, myself included. There are many Christians who continue to run from well to well in this life because they've never understood the nature of their longings, of their 
true soul thirst. At our conference, Matt said this over and over again, got embedded in my mind, and I've been chewing on it ever since here. He says that a superficial engagement with my longings will lead to a superficial engagement with the gospel. Like if I don't understand what's going on there, what's pressing in at me all the time, the weight of those things, then that's probably going to affect how important the gospel is to me. Because the stronger those longings are, the more I'm going to realize something else has got to be there. Right? We have uh, two cats, Marco and Polo. They're brothers. We got them when they were kittens. And we decided to make them indoor-only cats. Well, my wife decided to make them indoor-only cats. But in her defense, we uh, had some indoor-outdoor cats, and they kept uh, disappearing, we guess, being eaten by predators. Um, they weren't that strong of you know, cats. <clears throat> but anyway, we feed them, we, we water them, we have cat toys, we play with them. I mean, they have everything they need to live, or so you would think. Because do you know how our cats spend their day? They, they run from window to window, meowing, crying, patting at the window, pawing at the window every time they see a butterfly or a sparrow or a grasshopper hop by. I mean, if they want out, the fact is their longing is to be a hunter. That's the way God wired them. And they can't satisfy that longing, so they end up tearing up the the house instead, you know, making their point. My cats can't reflect on their longings, but we can. We can You see, if we don't understand our longings and what they're pointing us to, we're going to miss the vibrant life that God has for each one of us. And that's where this woman finds herself. She's missed the life that God has for her, at least up to this point. So as we look at Jesus' encounter with this woman, we're going to be introduced to four ideas. Water, wells, worship, and witness. So let's uh, look at this idea of water and how it's introduced to us here. As we begin reading in John 4, you open your apps, open your Bibles, or watch the screens there. We're going to read in John 4, verses 1 through 8. So now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour or high high noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, I want to just make an observation, try to frame this story a little bit in the broader story of the Gospel of John. It says that Jesus leaves Judea. In Judea, that's where he had encountered this, uh, this guy, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a big deal in Israel. Nicodemus was part of the ruling elite. He was a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the 72-member Jewish ruling council. Nick, Nick was a was a big deal. And Nick came to Jesus, wanting to know about the kingdom of God, and Jesus kind of tutors Nick to to realize that no amount of rule keeping is ever going to put you in God's favor. It's still, you still have to receive 
the gift of God, you still have to be born again. So Jesus is now going to leave Judea and he's going to head to Samaria where he meets this woman. So Nick's life is epitomized by power, moral uprightness, and respect. And this woman's life is epitomized by the marginalized, the unclean, the disrespected. And I believe that as as John paints these pictures and puts these two encounters together, John 3 and John 4, he's making a, a statement about all of humanity. All around the world and everybody that's here today. Everyone in this room. It's this, that there is no one beyond the need for God. Doesn't matter how many rules you keep, doesn't matter how, how often you're sitting in here in these chairs regularly on a, on a Sunday morning. Every single one of us has a need for God that must be received as a, as a gift from God. And secondly, that there's no one beyond the reach of God. Some of us have snuck in here today, perhaps, and feel like you've gotten in below Jesus' radar, like He doesn't really know who you are. You've, you've liked it that way. You're comfortable that way, perhaps. Perhaps you've made some bad decisions in your life. And you feel like you are outside the reach of God. And I would tell you, nothing could be farther from the truth. There is no one beyond the need for God. There's no one beyond the reach of God. And now in verse 7, Jesus says to this woman, give me a drink. And, and all at once in that simple request, he challenges so many cultural expectations that men don't talk to women, that the Jews don't talk to Samaritans, and finally that the Jews uh, would never um, share a food or drinking utensil with a Samaritan and make them unclean. Jesus is breaking the rules. And I would just say this, Jesus does not abide by our man-made rules. He's consistently breaking man's superficial rules in order to confront where he needs to confront, to, to like instruct where he needs to instruct, and as we, we're going to see here, to heal where he needs to heal. Jesus is all at once challenging the cultural assumptions of misogyny, racism, and moralism. And as we read it all, we just thought that Jesus was asking for a drink, right? There was so much more going on there. So let's uh, continue reading then this uh, idea of water. Verses 9 through 15 says, The Samaritan woman said to him, So how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you, given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep, and where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus answered her and said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So every day, in the heat of the day, at high noon, this woman's habit 
was to come and collect the water that she would need for the next 24 hours. Water weighs about eight and a half pounds a gallon. And uh, I don't know, 30 pounds of water, 40 pounds of water to take care of cleaning and cooking and drinking for she and the man that she lived with and the whatever livestock she, they may have had. She's going to carry it, what, 100 yards, 500 yards, a half a mile? Really? I mean, this is just counterintuitive. Anybody watching the scene would have scratched their head and said, why? Why had she adopted such a burdensome habit, a habit that she must have hated? The very thought of going and getting water, she hated it because of everything that it said about her life. You know, they say that there's only one thing more lonely than being alone, and that's being alone in a crowd. Only one thing more lonely being alone than that's alone in a crowd. And, and so I think that she had uh, really structured the rhythm of her life to make sure that she didn't have to be alone in the crowd, to kind of separate herself, because the logical thing to do would be come in the morning, in the cool of the day, to get the water when all the other women were there collecting water and swapping stories and sharing, no doubt, condescending looks, judgmental looks at this woman. She wasn't going to have any part of that. And the question we, we have to be asking ourselves is, is, is why? What, what had gone on? What, what's, what's the story behind the story here? And I would just ask you this. Like, we see situations like this in our life, right? Like, we see these, these things that people do that are so counterintuitive. You're just like, what? I don't understand. And we scratch our head, and we keep our distance. And I just wonder to what degree God is calling us when we see folks around us in situations like this, calling us to saddle up next to them, strike up a conversation, get to know them, hear their story. I wouldn't necessarily encourage you to directly ask why, but, but to get to know their story and just share life a bit. And, and here's the thing, I understand, I get it. Like, you, you have no idea, Shannon, that's going to lead to a lot of responsibility. A lot of things might be entangling me there. And, and I get that. I, I understand what it may do. Instead, we laugh, we, we judge, we keep our distance, and, and here's the consequence of it, I think, all too often. We wonder why our soul aches for purpose and significance so much of the time. So Jesus, he wants a drink, and she's incensed by the request. I'm sure she wants to say to him, hey, bud, why don't you get up and get it yourself? You know, this, this past week, uh, as a staff team, we went out to lunch Went to a new restaurant in town. Uh, there were six of us. We got a table for six, three on one side, three on the other. It was packed. And they have a lot of tables in this restaurant. And so I ended up sitting in the middle of uh, the, the, the three on my side. And the table behind us is so pressed up against ours that those sitting there, I could feel the guy behind me every time he laughed um, or told a joke or whatever it was. I could feel his chair bumping into mine. Isn't that fun? Great, great experience. So I'm sitting there, and I'm feeling that all through my lunch. And, I, and for, to drink, I got uh, a water. And more and more, restaurants have realized, let's give them a cup of shame. You know, let's just give them this little cup of water. That way, we have to keep getting up. And so I had my little cup of shame, and I'd already downed my water. And, uh, and I turned to Mark, a worship pastor who was sitting here, and I said, Mark, do you mind getting me some water? I mean, I, I'm pried in here. And Mark takes a look behind him and then looks back at me. Like, like, what gives? And I'm like, what? So I look behind me, and I realize the table had now 
evacuated, right? They're, they're all gone now. And he's like, how about you get up and get your own? But he didn't. Like, no, no, I'm going to take care of it for you, Shannon. So he got up and he got my water for me. It was very sweet, very <clears throat> nice thing to do. But Jesus doesn't have a cup of shame. He has, he has no utensil. He has no vessel or rope to draw water up with. And so perhaps she got him a drink. Perhaps she shared some water with him. And then Jesus adds, if you would have known, if you'd have known the gifts of God and who I am, you would have asked me for a drink, for living water. Now, living water is water that flows from a pure source. It's moving water. The ideal form of that is it comes up from a natural spring and it becomes a river or a stream right out of the ground. Um, so any moving water would have been living water and it could be trusted far more than well water or cistern water. Cistern water was water that uh, you would basically create a, a bowl in the earth and you let runoff come into it. Well water was obviously standing water under the ground, but things, impurities could leach into it, insects could fall into it and die, and it was not as trustworthy as living water. And, I, and I'm sure she knew what living water was. Like, she, she got that. But Jesus is uh, pointing to something more. And he says to her, <clears throat> This water is going to leave you thirsty, but the water that I give, you're never going to thirst again. It will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's going to be this, this spring that keeps on coming up, and you're going to have a life that is vibrant, a life that is meaningful, that is going to continue on and on and on. Now, this whole, this whole thing, this whole idea of the supernatural picture of living water, I think, goes all the way back to to Exodus 17. God has, has uh, set up this rescue mission for His people Israel, brought them out of this land of captivity to the Egyptians, and they come to this place in this arid region, and their, their water sacks, their water skins have run dry. Their throats have become parched, and it's like, Moses, what are you doing? You bring us out of the, the, the land of Egypt to die out here of thirst in the desert. And so Moses turns to God and says, what do I do? They're going to stone me. And, uh, and God says, go, take your staff, and you strike the rock that is Mount Horeb. And the water's going to flow. And all the people are going to be drink and be satisfied in all their livestock. Two to three million people, right? The water starts flowing out of this rock, and all of them... And all their livestock are satisfied. And I just have to believe that every one of them that went up to collect water must have just thought, how is this? How is this going on? I don't understand. A supernatural act of God. And we look back at this and we go, ah, Jesus is that very rock. Jesus is that rock that was struck on our behalf, and now out of him comes streams of living water to satisfy our soul. Here's the thing I can tell you. You don't realize how thirsty you are until you spend time with Jesus. You just don't know how thirsty you are until you spend time with Jesus. And now you can almost hear her parched gap, the parched gasps of her soul cough out the words, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty, so I won't have to keep coming and drawing water. Jesus, I'm so tired of working so hard for that which does not satisfy. I am so tired of my thirst. 
So Jesus is like, well, let's, let's talk about where you've been drinking from. Let's talk about your wells. So we pick that up in verse 16. Her wells and maybe our wells. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus says, go, go call your husband. And it'd be easy for us to think, well, you're changing the subject here, Jesus. This is exactly the subject. I mean, this is, this is exactly what they need to be talking about because the truth is, this woman has had six men. And that's a problem, right? Like, you're running to all these wells. You're drinking from all the, the, the wrong places. And it's left you hard and thirsty. You know, when you're talking to the one who knows your soul's ache, when he knows your soul's thirst, he knows your soul's shame, he's going to ask you, go and bring me what's on the altar of your heart because it's killing you. I love you. That thing on the altar of your heart, go and, and get it and bring it to me because it's killing you. And I wonder, what would Jesus say to each of us today? I wonder what wells we are going to. You see, I sin and we sin any time that, that we pursue satisfaction in something other than God. We're placing whatever that thing or that pursuit is on the altar of our hearts and we're giving ourselves to it. We are hoping that it will do for us what only God can do for us. And it's easier than we want to admit to, to believe that lesser things are going to bring us peace and security and, and hope and purpose. Guys, we all have wells that we run to. We run to them habitually. Jesus is calling us to bring that to Him. But we also have wells that we run to, I think, when the bottom falls out. This past Monday, I was having a nice dinner downtown with my wife for Valentine's Day. When the group text came from Gary, it says, liver scan came back positive. And I'm telling you, Susan and I felt like the bottom dropped out from us. It's been a hard week in the office. You guys have already heard from Gary. It's been an incredibly hard week for them and their family, running through so many different emotions. I love to see where they stand now, their confidence in the Lord right now, and the peace that they are walking in. I love that in my friend and in my pastor. I feel like Israel, in that, that, that time when they were out in the desert, and they get there and they're like, okay, we're out of water. Why did, why did you bring us here, God? Do you understand how in this moment, in this circumstance, that we as a church, that we as a body, thirst? Surely you didn't bring us this far have us die of thirst. You see, it's so hard for a church body to watch their pastor suffer. I've, I've watched this go on. I've watched our body. I've, I've heard the conversations. I had so many texts coming to me asking me so many questions. And, and the subtext of those texts really is 
They want to know, so are y'all like living like Christians? <laughs> are you bringing honor to God? I, this has got to be incredibly hard. They want to know, is the supernatural thing happening there at TBC? And I can tell you this, that we don't know what the, the months ahead are going to look like. Not really. We, we have a confidence that God is going to guide us through these times. But I know in these times that we're all going to be tempted to run after many different wells to run to many different places to try and satisfy our longings. And they, they may be wells of fear or worry, of control. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's detachment or apathy. And in a word, I would just say, don't. Don't run after those wells. They won't satisfy You see, Jesus loves our pastor and Jesus loves this body and he cares more for for his people than any pastor or any elder here ever could. Do we believe that? Like really, really, do you believe that? He cares more for us than any man ever could. And we have to keep trusting him even though it's hard. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock from whom the living water flows. He is the source of our strength. He is the source of our vitality. Individually and as a body of believers. I love how John Piper frames uh, this whole circumstance. He says it this way. His famous saying is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And he goes on, he says, and the truth is we demonstrate the surpassing worth of Christ when we reject earthly, empty pleasures and embrace Jesus as our all-consuming desire. So a Christian who does not seek satisfaction in money or satisfaction in a vacation or leisure or healthy children or a healthy pastor, but seeks Jesus makes a statement about the value of Jesus. But a Christian who constantly drinks from the pleasures of this world calls Jesus a liar because he goes to that woman at the well and he says, don't trust him. You can't trust him. His water really won't satisfy. So during this time, I just believe that God wants to glorify himself in how this church body, this church community is going to walk through all this. As people are, are asking you, that they're, they're looking for signs of the supernatural work of God among us. And I just think this is a time when God is going to be richly glorified in this body, in this community. I know that's our Lord's desire, and I know that's Gary's desire. So this woman... We turn to this, this, this place where she worships, and I'm going to summarize these next two sections quickly. So this woman knows that, there's, that this is no ordinary man. I mean, maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's something more. And so she now thinks, well, you know, I'm going to ask him this question that's nagged at my heart all my life. And maybe it's justified some of her skepticism, some of her choices. And so she just says, so where is God? Where is God in all this? I mean, do we have to go worship in Jerusalem where the Jews say that we have to worship? Or, or, or can we worship here on Mount Gerizim in the temple that the, the, the Samaritans have built to worship God? Where is God in all this? And really what she's getting at is, I mean, if there is a God, shouldn't the whole world be able to worship him? 
Why should anyone be left out? She was asking all the right questions, you know. People everywhere, wherever you go, people are worshipers. Whether we realize it or not, we are all worshipers. They can't help it. When our longings that God placed in us are not met in Him, they're going to compel us. They're going to compel us uh, to dive into pursuit after pursuit in a way that is eventually going to harm us. I love the way that um, David Foster Wallace um, shared this idea that everybody worships. He, he did that at a commencement speech that he did at Kenyon College. Uh, David Foster Wallace is an award-winning novelist. He's not a believer, but some of the things he says here are just, just truth, and you're going to see it. All truth is God's truth. He says, everybody worships. The only choice that we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for, uh, uh, for maybe choosing some sort of a God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship is going to eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if, if they are where you really try to tap into real meaning from life, then you're never going to have enough. You're never going to feel that you have enough. And that's the truth. He goes on, worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you are always going to feel ugly. When, the time and time, when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you're going you're gonna to end up feeling weak and afraid, and you're going to need more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you're, you're going to end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are in, uh, evil or sinful, which I would take issue with that, but that they are unconscious. They are our default settings. We're not aware that that's what's really driving us in life. So he spends time with Jesus. Can you imagine what a beautiful gift this woman had received? Because you see, in her brokenness, she began to realize, I want truth. I want life. And you can almost see Jesus smile as he says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming. Jesus says, and I who speak to you am he. Some scholars have said you could actually translate that, I am is the one who's speaking to you. A clear reference to the ever-present pre-incarnate Jesus that, 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 that he offered himself to, uh, to Moses. He introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush as I am. And so the disciples return, and we now see her witness. It's really two pictures of witness, two witnesses that we see, two witnesses to the truth. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This woman's testimony is just 12 words long in the ESV. Maybe it's the shortest testimony we have in Scripture. I don't know, but I know this. It says that many believed Why? Because this woman was ready to abandon the wells that she'd been running to. This woman was looking for something more. She was ready to drink of the living water. See, this whole story begins with Jesus thirsting. 
Jesus thirsty, asked the woman for a drink. His body ached for more water, but Jesus' spirit ached to do the work of his Father and guide this woman to truth and abundant life. And when his disciples return, he tells them, because they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I had food, I already had water that you knew nothing about. The longings within me were driving me to do the work of my Father and guide this woman on to eternal life, to introduce her to the one who can save her soul. And I would just tell you, the longings within us, these big longings, these weighty longings, are looking for something really, really big. This is what our older brother showed us must be done in our lives. This is not the last time that Jesus is going to thirst We fast forward some months, he's going to thirst again as he takes this woman's place, as he takes your place, he takes my place on a cross where Jesus is going to be like this woman, scorned and ostracized. And there he's going to experience a separation unlike anything this woman ever experienced when she walked that lonely path of shame in the sixth hour of the day. Jesus is going to thirst for the loss of relationship with his father. As he takes the punishment that this woman deserved, that you deserve, that I deserve for our sins, for for running after so many other wells instead of the living water that Jesus is offering. You see, it's because Jesus Christ experienced cosmic thirst on the cross that you and I can have our spiritual thirst satisfied. Because he died, we can be born again. And my closing question is this. Knowing what he did... Why would you turn your hearts away from Him, the living water, to things that enslave you? So we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to have everybody stand. I just thought as we wrap up in light of everything going on for us as a body, it would be important for us to have a visible display of solidarity. We're going to need one another in these days and weeks and months ahead. So I'm going to have you guys, if you would, just kind of move through the aisles and grab somebody and next to you. I want everybody here connected, every row connected together, just squish together. I don't want anybody left apart. Man, I wish I had my camera. Well, we got it on live stream. I, I'm telling you guys, this is, a, this is a beautiful picture. I feel like I'm the only one that gets to enjoy this right now. Y'all check it out on live stream. This is, this is pretty awesome. Let me pray. Father, what you've done here in this, in this body uh, is, is not so far removed from what you did <clears throat> for Israel so many millennia ago, rescuing them out of a land of Egypt. And Father, at this juncture, it's easy for us to feel like our thirst is so deep, our throats are so parched as we go through this time together. Father, I pray that we'd be confident that you are the living water, that because the rock was struck, the water, the living water flows out and is there to satisfy each of us. Father, I pray we would turn to that and be satisfied and not run to so many other wells that will leave us thirsty that will harm us. Father, I pray for our pastor. I pray for he and his family that they would drink deeply of the living water at this time. That they would know you satisfied. That they would not be tempted. I pray your protection on them. That they would not easily be tempted to turn away from the living water to their own means, to their own resources. Thank you, Father, for your love. And we go our way in Christ Jesus. Amen.